This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, under eating, and overeating. Okay, so the copy here says to talk about my experience with stress. Oh boy, <laughs> do you have an hour? <laughs> uh, where do I begin? <laughs> Work, bills, life, family. I could go podcast. on for a very, yeah, <laughs> podcast, a very long time. And I actually do though in therapy, which is so helpful for me so I can manage, deal, and get through it. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways and in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time. Here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color. Listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash fruit. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash fruit. All right, guys, it's it's time for me to come clean. It's okay. it's time for me to tell the truth. Right. It's time for me to spill the beans. Okay. It's time <laughs> to fess up. It's time to keep it a buck. Keep it 100. Are you going to get to it? Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. So sometimes after dark, I sneak away and play Best Fiends. Others may wonder about my mysterious disappearances. They say, who does she think she is? David Blaine? David Copperfield? I say none of the above. In fact, I'm having so much fun playing Best Fiends. Ever heard of it? Why, yes, I have. <laughs> I love Best Fiends. I love collecting the little monsters when you play so I can level up my fiends. Also, I love going in for these super long matches to free up the board and beat levels. Ooh. I am happy to report that I am on level 440. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, friend, I see you flexing over there. <laughs> now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting new levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. I am on level 304. Beth, tell them about the offline play. Yes, of course. <laughs> there <laughs> is offline play, so you don't even need Wi-Fi or the internet. Oh, good. So download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised.
everyone, and welcome to Fruit Loops, episode 102. Thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight cisgender white dudes. What? No. No, ma'am. There are many well-documented <laughs> cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist, allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294, and we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for some different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. So... Are we talking about today, Beth? Well, welcome to Cannibals of Color 3, mm. the Cannibal Trio. So this is our Thanksgiving episode when we focus on cannibals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in this story, a man, his wife, and his mistress killed three women in Brazil, and then they cooked and ate the flesh and also allegedly baked them into pastries, which they sold to people. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Uh, love that cannibal meat. <laughs> uh, but before we get into it, how are you doing? Well, I'm a little bit anxious. Uh, my son-in-law tested positive for COVID. Oh, no. And since he lives with my daughter and my grandson, they will probably get it too. So I'm worried. Okay. But uh, hopefully because they're all young, they'll be okay. Um, so anyway, happy Thanksgiving. Oh, Beth. <laughs> Uh, put my family on the prayer you list. You betcha. You got it. Don't even ask again. Say less. It's already <laughs> done. Um, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, when one when one of our family members falls ill and is in need of prayer, we are there to lift them up, y'all. Right. Um, so uh, me, I am uh, just trying to keep it together. I yeah. have been overwhelmed <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Um, I just have so many things going on in my life. Um, I, this, uh, to top it off, my, one of my offspring had a birthday in a pandemic and we had to try to like make it super lit, which hunty was so challenging. Uh, <laughs> but it came together and my little chicken nugget had a nice happy birthday. It was awesome. Oh, good. Um, but again, I have a million gazillion things to do. There are some days during the week where I'm like giving myself all of the hip hop air horns just for brushing my teeth and washing my face <laughs> twice a day. Like, yeah, I did it. Yeah. Y'all we did it. Yeah. <laughs> hip hop. I know horns. I'm going to bust it out. <laughs> I'm giving myself all of the hip hop air horns because sometimes that is hard to do. Uh, so yeah, it is. anyway, uh, Put everybody on the prayer list. Put the whole world. Yeah, no the joke. The whole world. Yeah. Um, well, uh, that's it uh, for how we're doing. Now we're going to get into some listener letters. Oh, hello, angels. Thank you. Oh, that's so nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, what's in that bag, Beth? 
Well, we got a message from Sharubin via Apple Podcasts, mm. and they said, all true crime fans should listen to the show. Thank you, Wendy and Beth, for creating such an amazing show. The format of the podcast is so great. I love the culture corners and how they focus on the stories of minorities, POC, LGBTQ. I've learned something new in every episode. More people need to check out this show. I will definitely be sharing. Please keep up the great no, work. No, you keep up the great work. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Ruben. Yes, thank you very much. And we got an iTunes review from Jordan Moriarty, who said, incredible and informative podcast. I downloaded Apple Podcasts just to leave this review. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> because everyone needs to know how amazing it Aww. is. These two incredible women tell important stories with such clarity and expressiveness while providing humor when things get a little tense. As an Australian, the information provided about the time and setting of the crime is so vital. And I find most true crime podcasts neglect this part for international or younger listeners. Fruit Loops has fast become my favorite podcast. I'm currently binging the entire Whoa! show. <laughs> and I can't recommend this show more. You bet your ass I'm becoming a Patreon because this incredible work needs to be seen more. Oh, wow. wow. That is Thank so you, Jordan Moriarty. Thank you so much. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, thank you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> These really help us, you they guys. They do. They do. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, yeah they keep they us do. going. <laughs> Couldn't do this without you guys. Awesome. Yeah. And we got an Instagram message from Slothy Joe. And I have to say, I love Sloth. Oh, yes. So I like Who that name. It? Yeah. <laughs> And Slothy Joe said, just discovered you. You're amazing. I'm so happy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Almost as happy as I am about Biden. Holy wow. Moly. Yeah, that's high praise. Yeah, Ooh. that is. <laughs> Love from London, UK. Okay. And thank you, thank Slothy you Joe. from London town. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, we also got some new patrons and Patreons. Uh, Olivia F., and uh, Anj Panj and a cash app donation from Renata. So here come your tunes. Wow. If you hate them, I'm sorry, but I do hope you like them. <laughs> uh, so, <clears throat> Olivia, this is for you. Oh, Olivia, you've been on my mind, girl, since the pod. Oh, Olivia, <laughs> you've been on my mind, girl, like a drug. Um, and then this <laughs> next one is for Anj Panj. You know who you are. Uh, let's see. You've got an orange punch. Is it fast enough that you could fly away? You gotta make a decision. Love the part of live and die this way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and lastly, hold up. Wait a minute. It's a Renata. Renata. <laughs> and uh <laughs> This is for all of you guys. Thank you yeah, for thank all of you. your support. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And now we yeah. are going to take a little break and get back to the story when we come back. We are back. So, Beth, remind us, who are we talking about today? 
Today we're talking about the Cannibal Trio, a.k.a. the Cannibals of Garanhons. The trio allegedly used some of the victims' flesh to make popular Brazilian pastries called salgadinhos, mm-hmm. which the threesome then apparently sold. The unused remains were buried in their yard. Okay, now it's time to get into some stats. Okay, so we should say that we typically at Fruit Loops HQ, we like to have all the facts, mm-hmm. dates, and figures when we talk about a case. This case is a little light. I should say a lot light yeah. on that. Yeah. Uh, many of our sources were obscure and translated from Portuguese and were light on the details we normally like to see. We did our best to put this together for you, so forgive us if our reporting is lacking. Now, the Cannibal Trio, a.k.a. the Cannibals of Granaus, uh, the trio included Jorge Beltrao Negromonte de Silveira, who was 52. He was the ringleader, a.k.a. the Sweeney Todd cannibal. Beth told me about Sweeney Todd, Mm -hmm. and it sounds like a great production. Um, (laughs) His wife was Isabel Pires. She was also 52. And his mistress, Bruna Cristina Oliveira, who was 23. The three came together to attract and murder women to practice cannibalism in the city of Garanuns in Agreste de Pernambuco, Brazil. In addition, they sold tasty food stuffed with human meat. Mm. The case had international repercussions. Uh, the trio's cl- crimes took place from 2008 to 2012. Uh, their victims were Jessica Camila de Silva Pereira, who was 17. She was a young mother. Giselle Elena da Silva, who was 31, a.k.a. Uh, Geisa dos Panfletos. And she's also referred to in some of the texts as Gisela or Giselle. Um, So you might hear that throughout the episode. And Alexandra Falcón Silva was 20. The trio was apprehended in April of 2012. They allegedly sold empadas, a form of salgadino or Brazilian pastries made from the victim's flesh to neighbors. (laughs) Won't you be my neighbor? Uh, The trio was convicted of three murders. When it all was said and done together, the sentences um, added up to about 300 years for all of them. Yes. So now we're going to dive into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, context is everything, and Brazil is the largest country in South America with an enormous history. But here's a little taste. Hey. <laughs> Pun intended. Thanksgiving <laughs> in, is a special night. <laughs> in 2010, Brazil had a population of 191 million. It's said that more than half of the population earned less than the minimum wage, and on average, white and Asian Brazilians earn twice as much as black or mixed race Brazilians. Brazil is one of the most ethnically diverse countries in the world. Take me there. And Brazilians regard, yeah, their nation as a racial democracy where there is little overt racism. Uh, Keyword overt. Nonetheless, black Brazilians, the descendants of African slaves brought over during Portuguese colonial rule, are much more likely to be poor and rarely reach the top levels of business or politics. This story takes place in the state of Pernambuco in Brazil. Prior to the European invasion, Pernambuco was inhabited by numerous tribes of the Tupi-Guarani-speaking indigenous peoples. The Tupi peoples were mostly were a mostly hunter-gatherer culture living in longhouses who cultivated some indigenous crops, most notably manioc or cassava, a root vegetable, but they lacked metallic tools. 
I gotta say, um, my uh, one of my Central American uh, food staples is cassava bread, and I don't know why, but my grandfather used to just bring like um, Costco sized boxes of cassava bread. And oh wow! It, it, it just lasts forever, and you just. I'm a little hungry. Just grab a piece of cassava, cassava. put a little bit yeah. of cheese on it. It's good. Anyway, huh. um, many elements of the Tupi culture were a shock to Europeans. They bathe frequently. My God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the fact that that's a shock to Europeans is pretty funny. Yeah, they, and, well, the Europeans thought that bathing too much was was uh, not healthy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. They had that's some weird good. ideas. Yeah. They did. That's interesting. I also heard on another podcast that the Europeans came to a country where there are black and brown people and Europeans lived in close proximity to their farm animals. Right. And the black and brown people of the world did not do that. And so that also, I think, was a shock a to Europeans. Shock, yeah. yeah. Um, they did not believe in wealth ac- uh, accumulation. These are the the Tupi. They practiced nudity. Santa Maria, sign me up. Uh, <laughs> they warred frequently and captured enemies for communal ritual cannibalism. Tupi tribes believe that eating the warriors captured from other tribes would lead to their strength being absorbed and gi- digested. So they would only eat warriors perceived to be strong and brave. For the Tupi warriors, even when prisoners, it was a great honor to die valiantly during battle or to display courage during the festivities leading to the sacrifice. The Tupi have also been documented to eat the remains of dead relatives as a form of honoring them. I think we've talked about that before. Yeah, I think so. Uh, The practice is actually not that uncommon in similar tribes. Cannibalism has been well documented in much of the world, including Fiji, the Amazon Basin, the Congo, and the Maori people of New Zealand. Uh, Neanderthals are believed to have practiced cannibalism, and Neanderthals may have been eaten by anatomically modern humans. Papua New Guinea is famous for cannibalism. According to Duke University professor Mariana Torgovnik, the most fully documented instances of cannibalism as a social institution comes from New Guinea, where headhunting and ritual cannibalism survived in certain isolated areas into the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and still, yeah, and still leave traces within certain social groups. And of course, cannibalism has occasionally been practiced as a last resort by people suffering from famine, even in modern times. Yeah. Uh, at the time of the quote unquote discovery of Brazil, because they were already there minding their business, <laughs> y'all, uh, by Europeans, the area near Re- Recife in the modern state of Pernambuco was populated chiefly by the Tabahara people, members of the Tupi Guarani linguistic group. The Portuguese had more successful dealings with the Tupi Guarani speakers than with the speakers of other languages. Soon, a process of mixing between Portuguese settlers and indigenous women started. The Portuguese colonists rarely brought women, making the indigenous women the, quote, breeding matrix of the Brazilian people, unquote. That's kind of fucked up and gross. Yeah. When the first Europeans arrived, the phenomenon of cunhadismo, from the Portuguese cunhado, meaning brother-in-law, began to spread. Uh, similar word in Espanol, too. Cun- oh. uh, my cuñado. Uh, uh, cunadismo was a tribal tradition of incorporating strangers to their community. The 
Tabahara offered the Portuguese uh, native girl as a wife. And once the Portuguese man agreed, he formed a bond of kinship with all the people of the tribe. And polygamy, a common practice among South American Indians, uh, was quickly adopted by the European settlers. Of course it was. Of course. And it didn't take long for the Portuguese to take advantage of this tradition of cunandismo, and it was used as recruitment of labor. The Portuguese could have many wives, and thus a huge number of indigenous relatives who were induced to work for him, especially to cut Brazil wood and take it to the ships on the coast. Without the practice of cunadismo, Portuguese colonization was impractical. Ah, impractical. Yes. Uh, The number of Portuguese men in Brazil was very small and Portuguese women were even fewer in number. The proliferation of mixed race people allowed the Portuguese occupation of the territory. Kind of insidious. Yeah, it really is. Way to colonize. Yeah. Although the Tupi population largely disappeared because of European diseases to which they had no resistance or because of, of slavery, a large population of maternal Tupi ancestry occupied much of Brazilian territory, taking the ancient traditions to several points of the country. Part of this story also occurs in Garanuns, a city in Pernambuco, located in the Borborema Plateau. The town is known as the Suiza Pernambucana, Pernambucan, Switzerland, due to its elevation and relatively cool climate. <laughs> that just made me think of cool runnings. Uh, it is also <laughs> known as Cidade das Flores, City of Flowers, or Cidade da Garoa, City of Drizzle. Geranhuns is most famous for the Festival de Inferno, or the Winter Festival, which it holds every year in July. It's located in the Southern Hemisphere, so July is in their winter. During the winter, temperatures in Geranhuns can drop to 7 degrees Celsius, which is about 45 degrees Fahrenheit. This is quite cold for a city that is only a few degrees south of the equator. Another part of this story occurs in the city of Recife in Pernambuco, about three and a half hours east-northeast from Garanuns on the coast of Brazil. The name Recife means reef in Portuguese. Surrounded by rivers and crossed by bridges, Recife is full of islands and mangroves, and it is known as the Venice of Brazil. Sounds lovely. It does. And I saw pictures, and it looks lovely, too. (laughs) Live show alert. (laughs) (laughs) The climate of Recife is tropical. The hottest months are from November through February. This is when the locals take their vacations. And as I mentioned, winter is during June through August. So their their seasons are flipped. And this Mm. is the period of heavy rainfall. Ah, the local cuisine in Recife has many influences, including Spanish, Dutch, African, and Indian. Um, I'd say the culture has the same kind of influences as well. But since we're talking about Thanksgiving, we're talking about (laughs) cuisine. The area is renowned for its bountiful supply of fresh seafood, as well as local fruits, including coconuts and mangoes. Local dishes include crabs cooked in spicy sauce. Mm. Mouth-watering shrimps in mango sauce. Ooh. And um, fried needlefish. Oh, oh, cr- yeah. I don't know about the needlefish, but the rest of it sounds pretty good. <laughs> Ooh, fried, fried fish. Oh, it just sounds divine. Just needle, needlefish. I don't. I just don't know what that fish is. I just think of like a little tiny sharp fish. <laughs> I'm using my imagination to picture something delicious. Okay. <laughs> So you do what you want over there. <laughs> you do you, do. You do you. Why do you why? 
Salgadinhos are small savory snacks that translate literally to salties. Similar to Spanish tapas, they are considered appetizers or snacks and are a staple of working class and lower middle class parties and celebrations. Mm -mm. Mm -mm -mm. Mm, Yeah, I'm hungry now. Uh, Yeah. Love those Salgadinos. So now we're going to get into the cannibal trio's early life. Now, the trio consisted of Jorge, his wife, Isabel, and his young mistress, Bruna. For most of this episode, rather than using their last names, we will refer to them as Jorge, Isabel, and Bruna. This is because they have very long last names, and some articles use different parts of the names as their last names, and we are not entirely clear what is proper. So after using their full names at least once, we will just refer to them using their first names. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) Jorge Beltreo Negromonte de Silva, see, very long. (laughs) Very long, yes. Was born in the 60s. Jorge was the youngest of four brothers in a respected, well-to-do family with European Portuguese roots. His father was a lawyer and his mother a university professor. Ooh, bougie McBoogersons mm-hmm. much? Uh, at age seven, his parents sent him to live with an aunt to complete his schooling in Portugal because they thought he would get a better education there. And he returned to Brazil at age 12. Two of Jorge's brothers went on to marry Brazilians and still live in Brazil, while a third returned to Portugal and lost contact with the other siblings. Jorge is five years younger than his closest brother. According to Jorge, as a child, he spent his time talking and playing with two imaginary friends, one young black boy and one young white boy. This worried his father, who sent him to a, quote, spirit center to try to cure him. Later, also according to Jorge, a doctor diagnosed him with schizophrenia. Jorge became a physical education teacher and a black belt in karate. He was married for 30 years to Isabel Cristina Tareo Pires, who he called Belle, a food vendor who sold salgadinos. Jorge and Isabel were unable to have children. Jorge developed a seething hatred of, quote, uneducated, unquote, childbearing women fueled by his disappointment at not being able to father a child himself. I'm just picturing, you know, the Arthur meme, <laughs> you know, the cartoon with the little the little uh, aardvark Arthur and his oh, yeah. fist is all clenched. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isabel had two miscarriages. She and Jorge sought fertility treatment and she wasn't able to conceive after that. According to one source, Jorge said this fueled his anger towards people he believed were uneducated and reproducing. He later justified his actions by claiming the women he killed would give birth to future, quote, thieves and lowlifes. Mm, not nice. Not nice uh, at all. No, no, no. If you can't say nothing nice, don't say nothing at all. I would have told that Jorge to his face. Uh, he believed they didn't have anything of worth to pass mm. on to their respective children. Mm-mm, he uh, complained that they can't even speak Portuguese properly, and it disturbed him to hear people speaking incorrectly. I have been listening to Finding Cleo, and this kind of reminds me of those uh, Indian reform schools. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where the uh, basically white society judged indigenous people's for um, how they raised their family and 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 their children and the language they spoke, and they basically just ripped kids away. Yeah, um, and they, they didn't uh, like the culture, so they they tried to destroy it, or they exact- they did destroy it. Yeah. 
they did destroy it. But this, I, I mean, this obviously isn't that. But he's he's angry that they're not they're not European. He's enough, being a I snob. Guess. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Sorry. Standard. <laughs> Bruna Cristina Oliveira da Silva lived with the couple since adolescence. We don't know much about her other than the fact that she was young and had a romantic relationship with Jorge and Isabel. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download. American Vigilante, now. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads... But this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Get ready for your starring role in a thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes, danger, and romance. That's right. It's June's Journey, and you play June Parker, an amateur detective investigating a series of mysteries. Ooh, you'll put your powers of observation to the test, sharpen your sleuthing skills, find objects, and claim rewards. The visuals are fire. It's like a party for your eyeballs. <laughs> As you play this thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes with danger and romance in full force. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just need to get away for a while, June's Journey is the perfect game for you. It really is a sweet escape. I like to play when I need a mental pick-me-up. There is a detective in all of us. Find your inner detective. Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. So now we're going to get into the timeline. Unfortunately, there are three people in this story and they have three different stories to tell. Plus, this took place in another country. And again, a lot of the sources that we found were in Portuguese. So we tried to get the story right. But with all this conflicting information and translation, we may have gotten some details wrong. Uh, you know where to find us if you know some details. Yeah. But here we go. In May of 2008 in Greater Recife, Jessica Camila de Silva Pereira 
17 years old, was caring for her one-year-old daughter, Taina Victoria, but had no place to live. She was resorting to begging in the streets and canals of Boa Viagem, a neighborhood in the southern zone of Recife. Uh, Recife is located alongside a long coastal reef situated on the Atlantic Ocean. Recife developed a ci- as a city of trade and as a major port. Wonder what uh, started out at the port. Mm. Um, whenever somebody says they're in shipping, <laughs> that means they have ties to slavery. Um. Anyway, as as we mentioned, it is known as the Venice of Brazil and includes a mixture of the old and the new with narrow streets, canals, rivers and bridges. The number one beach for city inhabitants and visitors alike is the Boa Viagem Beach. Because it is protected by the reef, the beach offers a safe place for swimming and other water sports. However, recently a few shark attacks have been reported and you can find signs in English and Portuguese warning tourists to not swim behind the reefs. Oh, man. I mean, minus the shark attacks, it sounds... It's, it looks beautiful, too. Yeah. Go mm-hmm. go Google it, you guys. It's beautiful. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, when I get that bag, <laughs> that's, going, that's where I'm going. Uh, this area and Boa Viagem Beach is where you can find most luxury and modern hotels and fine dining experiences. And it's probably why Jessica chose to panhandle there, although that is just speculation. Isabel made friends with Jessica when she saw her out begging in Boa Viagem. In later testimony, Isabel said that Jessica was going out at night, quote, in scandalous clothes, unquote, and that Uh she wanted to be on the streets at only 17 years old. Um, And I hear some victim blaming in there from Isabel. Loud and clear. Yeah. Yeah. Isabel claimed that she came to look after Jessica and Tena Victoria because they needed a home. Isabel later said that she had two women in mind, but Jessica was chosen because she was, quote, easier and innocent, end quote. Isabel was able to convince Jessica to come home with her to work for her as a live-in maid and to bring Taina Victoria with her. Isabel took her to their home in Olinda on the outskirts of Recife and Jorge, Isabel and Bruna took the young woman and her daughter in. According to Jorge, quote, we all fell in love with her baby. I would buy everything for her, milk, nappies, her cot. She was like a daughter to me. But Bruno was jealous of her. She kept telling me it wasn't good for her to be there. That's when she started telling me to stop taking my medicines, that I was normal. I needed to be a man and be stronger, unquote. The initial idea was just to keep Taina Victoria and raise her as their daughter. Jessica was told that she could only leave if she left her child behind. On the day of her death in May of 2008, Jessica told the trio that she wanted to move back in with her daughter to live with her family. Jessica and Isabel got into a fight. Jorge and Bruno went to see what was going on. Jorge took hold of Jessica and told Isabel to get a knife. But Bruna brought the knife to him and Isabel and Bruna held Jessica while Jorge murdered her with the knife by cutting her throat. Wow. According to Jorge, Taina Victoria witnessed her mother's death. But according to Bruna, she was in another room and saw nothing. Uh, Bruna later said she did not participate in the death or the dismemberment of the body. She claimed that when she saw the body parts, she got scared. She compared the experience to the movie Saw or Jogos Mortais or Jigsaw in Portuguese. Jorge has sometimes claimed that he remembered nothing of the murder, that he, quote, blacked out, unquote. Quote, I only woke up the next day and everything was already clean. The baby was in her cot. Belle and Bruna had cleaned up everything. They had buried her bones in the backyard. I asked, 
where was Jessica? That's when Bruna said, don't you remember? We had to execute her so she wouldn't take the girl away. And you were the one who did all the work, unquote. Hmm. Interesting. And interesting. <laughs> okay. So you're just going to, you're just going to believe, like, be like, okay, yeah. I, I guess yeah, that's what that, happened. That makes sense. That's- <laughs> Pass the salt, please. Totally makes sense. <laughs> and uh, in another story he told in which he seemed to remember everything, he said the victim's body was placed in the shower until the blood was drained out. Then, according to the ritual, all the skin on the body was removed, which was considered impure, and the body was bone. Quote, I cut the meat. I studied anatomy and knew where to make the cuts. Bruna helped. Isabel just watched. We kept the meat in the freezer. The legs represented the earth fire elements. The arms were water, air. The head represented God. The trunks were buried, unquote. Okay. Interesting. Uh, interesting. <laughs> okay. Uh, and that's his story. So mm-hmm. that's what we're going with. Certain body parts were chosen for cooking, her thighs and arms, uh, and they were cooked with water, salt, and oregano. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ate like any meat. It tasted like beef. I don't know precisely who prepared it, whether Belle or Bruna are both together, but we put meat in her child's normal dish, he said. Jorge later claimed to be following a sect called the Cartel, some kind of organization that told their followers to kill and eat people who did not work or who produced more children than they could raise. Eating the flesh of the victims, according to Jorge, served to purify the victim and also absolve him from the sin of murder. Cartel's an interesting angle. Yeah. Um, Isabel helped bury the trunk of the body and later confirmed that they ate Jessica's flesh, which, according to her, was prepared by Jorge. Bruna also admitted to eating the flesh because it was part of the ritual, but claimed that Taina Victoria didn't eat it. Isabel denied that human flesh was used in the salgadinos she sold in the city, and Jorge claimed that the cartel did not allow the meat to be used for business. Of course. I mean... Right? I mean, they have do some have rules. Standards. Yeah, they have. <laughs> they do have some sort of standards. Standards. I mean, yeah. Hello. <laughs> huh. But it is widely believed that it was used to stuff the empadas, a type of salgadino that Isabel made and sold. Empadas, also known as empadinas, originally come from Portuguese cuisine and date back to medieval times. Empadas shouldn't be confused with empanadas from neighboring Latin American countries. They're like quiches and look like tiny pies. They can be filled with just about anything, meat, cheese, chocolate, fruit, you name it. Even human meat, apparently. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, After the crime, Bruna assumed the identity of of Jessica Camila and the trio went on to raise the victim's daughter. That's fucked up. At some point, the trio, along with Daina Victoria, moved to uh, Garanuns. In Garanuns, according to Jorge, Bruna continued to encourage Jorge to stop taking his schizophrenia medication. While in Garanuns, Bruna started to get close to 31-year-old Giselle Helena de Silva. The two ladies had long conversations on the phone together, but then Bruna told Jorge how Giselle had confided that she had tried to kill her son and that she had beaten up her young nephew. Bruna started to hate Giselle because she thought she was a bad person. Wow. <laughs> you thought, wait, you thought she was you, a bad person? You thought this she is like, was a bad This is like the Spider-Man meme where you're a Spider-Man. No, you're yeah. a Spider-Man. And they're both... Spider-Man and they're both yeah. bad. <laughs> Bruna told Jorge, 
quote. How can a Christian person do that? Unquote. <laughs> you're a Christian. No, you're a Christian. Wait a minute. I mean, this is confusing. Yeah, the moral compass on these people is just woo, 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 like spinning, yeah, it's spinning like, like a top. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Bruna invited, are we saying Giselle or Giselle? I'm thinking of Giselle Munch in the, the Brazilian model. I think I was saying Giselle. I don't, okay. I don't know. Okay. But but you, Giselle, I don't know. I, you guys, I don't know how it's pronounced. <laughs> Br- Bruna invited Giselle or Giselle to Jorge, Bruna, and Isabel's home. Bruna told Jorge, you know, you have to do what the cartel says, don't you? <laughs> I think this is according to Jorge. Bruna <laughs> went to meet Giselle at the bus stop. And Jorge, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he did. And he liked it a lot. Uh, <laughs> and Jorge walked behind Bruna and Giselle as they went home. When they arrived at the house, Jorge entered through the back door. And when he saw Bruna, she told him, do it now. Jorge murdered Giselle by stabbing her in the neck. Afterwards, she was taken to the bathroom where she was dismembered. According to Jorge, after the murder, he only remembered flashes that included the reflection of a kitchen knife, a body, a dead person in the bathroom, and the running shower. When I read this part of the story, I totally saw it in my mind. Like, like in a, the like, flashes? Uh, yeah, the flashes, like a music video. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jorge and Bruna, this... Another thing really about fucked up music video. <laughs> yeah. So he blacks out a lot. Like there's no talk in this story about doing drugs or like no, drinking uh-uh. or any substances that alter any of these people's minds. They're just no, they're, they're freestyling. Completely with, sober. Yeah. Yep, yep. Completely clean. Okay. Jorge and Bruna dismembered Giselle, removing flesh from the thighs, legs, arms, and buttocks. And they took the liver. But Jorge claimed he blacked out, and when he came to his senses, he looked in the fridge and saw all the meat already prepared and thought, it's happened again in exactly the same way. Whoa. Whoa. Dude, <laughs> where'd this dude, where's my, come yeah, from? where's my car, dude? <laughs> <laughs> the trio then sat down for a meal. The little girl sat and ate with them. She was now five years old. They consumed the victim's flesh, but Jorge claimed that he had no idea he was eating human flesh. Not a clue. Interesting. (laughs) Hmm, Tastes a little (laughs) gamey. He said it was difficult to explain. He was conflicted in his mind about what he was eating. He asked Bruna, who bought this meat? And she said, just leave it. And he didn't ask any more questions. I don't know. This story's kind of fishy. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, they hid what was left of Giselle by burying them, burying the body parts in the backyard in a hole previously dug up by Jorge for this purpose. So you mean to tell me, Jorge, <laughs> you dug a hole for some reason and you find yourself eating this questionable meat and uh, like, how did this happen? How did this happen? How did I get here? You know, that's like letting the yeah. days go by. This is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful wife. This is not my beautiful mistress. Yeah. This is not my beautiful dinner. Wow. Uh, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, so. Uh, Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like 
narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, <laughs> but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> you can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. <laughs> Where are we? Okay, so he didn't ask any more questions. Uh, he dug the hole, and the trio took the victim's <laughs> belongings, a Sony camera, numerous credit cards, a voter card, and two cell phones. The family ate off of the remains for three days, eating it for lunch and dinner until it was gone. They sautéed the meat with onions and oregano, cooked it with vegetables in a stew, and made it into pastries. According to Jorge, the women would prepare the meat. We'd often cook it in a Mexican stew called carne guisada with vegetables. Isabel would use it to make a typical northeastern dish called macacera, made from cassava root, which is tasty. Yeah, I must say, oregano, underutilized spice. Mm-hmm. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> like I'm some expert chef. You know what I've been eating every day for the past two weeks? It's comfort food for my broke ass. Eggs and top ramen. Now, my grandmother Ooh. had 11 children and a bunch of grandkids. And that's what she would make to like... Yeah feed a lot of people and we, whenever we I make that when when my kids are little too yeah oh for, it, it is so tasty and it's just comfort food yeah so, <laughs> I don't know about oregano I wouldn't even know what it looked like uh, <laughs> but I just know I like it anyway quote I can't remember if we ever fried it like a steak 
I did buy mincing, a mincing machine for Bruna to make minced meat, but I'm not sure if she used it. The meat would last for three or four days. We would have it for lunch and dinner until it was all gone. On February 25th, 2012, Giselle Helena de Silva was reported missing. According to her family, she had received an offer to work as a nanny and would receive a salary of 1,500 reals, about 282 U.S. dollars. Of note, the cost of living in Brazil is four times less than that of the U.S. The average monthly salary in the U.S. is about $3,300, and in Brazil, it is 758 reals. On uh, February 27, 2012, the trio started using Giselle's credit cards for purchases at various stores in the city. Bruna presented herself as Giselle, signing the purchase slips while Jorge pretended to be her husband. At one store during the transaction, the salesperson asked for ID, ma'am. Uh, Bruna <laughs> pretended to be looking in the bag she was carrying. The clerk felt that they were good, humbled people and disregarded her previous request for ID. <laughs> Go on they, ahead, child. <laughs> they were good, I guess. I guess. As we mentioned earlier, it is widely believed, although not confirmed, that the trio not only consumed human flesh themselves, but also used it to stuff the salgadinos that Isabel and Bruna sold in Garanhuns. Christian Lima, 29, owns a salon where Isabel would often sell her food. According to Christian, since December, she had she has been selling pies here. Most customers bought and did not complain. Isabel used to go to Christian's salon on Saturdays, always saying that she was selling to raise money to buy medicine for a sick son. The pie was brand new, well-made, and it arrived very warm here, especially because she lived nearby. People really bought it. Everyone was hungry. There were times when she sold up to 10 pies here, she said. Just two weeks after Giselle's murder, the group lured another young woman to her death, 20-year-old Alexandra da Silva Falchao, who, according to Jorge, Bruna got to know on the bus and then offered her a job as a babysitter. They again took the woman's credit cards. And on March 12, 2012, Alexandra Falchao da Silva, 20, was reported missing. She told her mother that she had been approached by an empada vendor and that she offered her a job as a domestic worker with a salary of 1,500 reals, again, $282 U.S. Now we are going to get into the investigation and the arrest. Hit it, Beth. Both Alexandra and Giselle's family members contacted the police and filed missing persons reports. The investigations were begun. However, the police were unaware that there was a connection between the two disappearances. So there were two different investigations instead of one. Okay, cops have kind of being messy hoes, not sharing information, but... Uh... You know, let's give them some time. After the victim's families filed the missing persons reports, a credit card bill arrived at Alexandra's home. Bruna was caught on a shop CCTV using the victim's credit card a month after she disappeared. The victims were also said to have been near uh, or been seen near the home of the trio before disappearing. So police obtained arrest warrants and search and seizure warrants. The police searched the house but found nothing suspicious. They only noticed that there were construction materials, but the house did not appear to be under renovation. At one point, the child came to a policeman and told him that her father was burying people in the yard. Out of the mouths of babes, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
say the darndest things. Uh, according to police, the five-year-old girl who lived with the trio witnessed the crimes committed in the house. She told police that her father had cut the necks of the murdered women. So police investigated further and found the bodies of two women. That's so fucked up. I know. Uh, for a kid to to have witnessed all that. I know. So I know. fucked up. I know. The bodies were quartered and pieces of flesh were missing in certain parts. They were later identified as Giselle and Alexandra. Police also found two new holes or graves that had been already dug up but not used. And it was presumed that the trio already had two more victims in mind that had not been chosen yet. At the time, police were investigating another six homicides that were attributed to the group, one in Pereba and the rest in Pernambuco. But proof of the trio's involvement in those other murders was never confirmed. The three were arrested and taken to the police station. They confessed to the crimes and contributed to the investigations. According to the police, the suspects said they were part of a sect which preached the purification of the world and population reduction by killing three women a year. Headed by, want to join? Headed by Jorge. <laughs> <That's> exciting. <laughs> Where else. do I sign up? <laughs> <laughs> For just three easy payments. Uh, <laughs> headed headed by Jorge, they started looking for women who could have uh, who could have children to kill them and do their part to prevent overpopulation. They're just, you know, doing their parts as good citizens, you know. Hey, man, we all got to do our part. <laughs> Isabel said that Jorge had killed the two girls and that they consumed their meat for a few days. According to Isabel, Jessica and the child were the ones who ate the most. Wait, Jessica. Bruna and the child were the ones who ate the most. And she said that human flesh tastes like beef. That was a little bit confusing to me because, yes, Bruna became Jessica. And so sometimes oh yeah i gotcha i gotcha yeah now i remember yeah uh so she reported that she lured the victims with a promise of employment and invited them to come to her home and then victims were stabbed by george then isabel and jessica took the bodies to the bathroom and quartered them soon after the flesh from the thighs arms buttocks and liver were extracted and placed in the freezer of course of course, why wouldn't they? <laughs> the police found the seasoned human meat, and it was then that they questioned whether Isabel used the meat to stuff her empadas. She was known for selling the snacks on the doorsteps of hospitals and other places in Gerenhuns. At first, she denied it, but ended up confessing to having used the meat in some of the snacks, a fact that could never be proven by the police because, you know, they were already eaten. Right. Eaten, digested, flushed, yep, gone. gone. <laughs> Which uh, I feel like is, I mean, they're already still going to jail for murder, but the cannibalism mm-hmm. part, like, nobody can ever prove it. Other yeah, than their yeah. right? Yeah. The empanas were sold in hospitals, beauty salons, and according to reports, the snacks contained little filling. Isabel claimed the filling to be light chicken, which meant that her customers never even noticed a difference or doubted it. That's good sales. <laughs> sales <laughs> it's right? light chicken. Yeah. Set it and forget it. (laughs) (laughs) When the photos of the trio were released in the media, a family saw Jessica's photo and soon contacted the police stating that that was not her real name. According to them, Jessica was their daughter who had disappeared years ago in 2008. Police decided to interrogate the young woman who claimed to be Jessica, and she confessed that her real name was Bruna Cristina Oliveira da Silva. 
Yeah. Cue the Law and Order music. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Two birth certificates for the five-year-old child were found with different parents and grandparents. In one of them, Jorge was named as the father. Authorities conducted DNA tests on two people who presented themselves to the police as relatives of the child who lived with the trio. Meanwhile, the child remained in foster care in Garanuns. Without proof of kinship, the girl was to be remanded to the National Adoption Register. A book that Jorge wrote called Revelations of a Schizophrenic, where he told about his life and detailed the crimes was found in the house. The 32-chapter manuscript also included stories of black magic, torture, and cannibalism, and pictures of dismembered women that he'd drawn. In the book, Jorge claimed to be schizophrenic, that he heard voices, and was infatuated with killing women. You don't say. No. <laughs> uh, my That's hobby- a shocker. What a yeah. twist. <laughs> I know it's on it's on his uh Tinder profile. <laughs> My hobbies include hearing voices and being infatuated with killing women. I also enjoy beautiful dinners, scrumptious food. <laughs> uh well, if you're into me, swipe left. Uh after the after the arrests, people in the community set fire to the house where the trio lived in Garanuns. Uh, so now we're going to get into the trial. The first trial took place in 2014 and was for the murder of Jessica Camila de Silva Pereira. It took place in Recife, Pernambuco. The first witness to be heard was La Martin Olanda Jr., a psychiatrist who analyzed the three defendants at the time they were arrested. He did not consider Jorge schizophrenic. As for Isabella Bruna, the doctor stated that they do not suffer from any disorders either. Prosecutor Elaine Gaya asked for the maximum sentence for all three. She said, quote, nobody was obliged to do anything. Everyone was free. If Isabel was being forced, she was free enough to go to the official authorities, but she didn't do it at the time. They have undergone psychiatric tests that prove that they are normal, unquote is a bit uh, of a yeah stretch. i don't know about normal but uh yeah uh head testified it was a very serious monstrous mistake which i very much regret it was a moment of extreme weakness and brutality i feel in the position of people who have lost loved ones and i am sorry not because i'm in prison but because my real prison is my conscience mm. he said Oh, sure. That's deep. Uh-huh. <laughs> At the end of the judge's inquiries, Jorge, who spent the entire time on the stand with his eyes closed, okay, weirdo, mm. asked for a prayer. Granted permission, he said a thanks for the opportunity to speak the truth and asked for comfort for the victim's family. So nice. Isn't it, though? Yeah. Only Jorge confessed to the murder. The women only admitted to having helped conceal the corpse and eaten parts of the victim's body. Isabel Cristina's lawyer claimed that she was forced to participate in the crime. Isabel testified that she did not participate in Jessica's murder, and she she said that she no longer had a romantic relationship with Jorge at the time of the crime, but that she was emotionally dependent on him. Throughout the testimony, the prosecutor noted that Isabel contradicted herself several times and showed signs of nervousness, stating in the end that Jessica was chosen to be a victim of the sect and that she planned to keep the child. She said the cartel was Jorge's creation. It was he who decided to kill Jessica because of the voices he heard. I didn't have the courage to denounce him or the crimes for love, for fear that he would leave me. Everything I did, I'm sorry, and I apologize to the family. 
families. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> I am so sorry. Um, Whoops. Can I go home now? <laughs> no. Uh, on November 14th, 2014, the trio was convicted of homicide and violation of and concealment of a corpse. Jorge received 23 years in prison, while Isabel and Bruna each were sentenced to 20 years. The second trial took place in 2018. That was like two years ago, you guys. <laughs> Holy moly. Woo. Look at us being all current. (laughs) (laughs) And the second trial was for the murders of Alexandra Falcon Silva and Giselle Helena de Silva and occurred in different in a different venue from the 2014 trial. During this trial, Jorge accused Bruna Cristina Oliveira of torturing him. Wow. Uh, Okay, Jorge. He said... (laughs) I'll tell you the truth now, because in the other trial, that uh, that other shit back there, that other trial, I hit a lot in defense of Bruna. I've known Bruna since she was 17, and she told me she was a witch. I have no part in it. Both I and Isabel were tortured to assume that. Now, I'm not I'm not sure what the torture was, because nothing I couldn't find anywhere where they talked about what this torture was. So. I don't yeah. know what he's talking about. And maybe the translation. Um, uh, maybe. Yeah, it could be the translation wasn't clear enough. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if, if anybody knows <laughs> what the fuck what? he's talking about, <laughs> hit us up. <laughs> His lies are really something else. Un- unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 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 like literally unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And on December 15th, 2018, the trio was convicted of the murders of Alexandra Falcon Silva and Giselle Elena de Silva. Jorge was sentenced to 71 years in prison, while Isabel received 68 years and Bruna 71 years and 10 months. Bruna received the most time because of the charges of false identity. Ah, hmm. uh, justice. These <laughs> sentences were stacked on top of the previous sentences. So essentially, they each received sentences of approximately 90 years. So now we're going to get into where are they now? Tell us, Beth. According to Jorge, the boys that he imagined as a child, quote, still appear to me even today. When I was murdering the last woman, Giselle, they were tugging at my trousers, trying to stop me like they are my conscience, unquote. When describing the moment he was about to murder his victims with a kitchen knife, Jorge paused to give a lesson about the various names for the knives, which exist in Portuguese, because that's important. Uh, sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it was interesting because this quote I had to like look at numerous times because <laughs> it was... <laughs> Uh, it was also like implying that um, there weren't a lot of different, there weren't different words for knife in English either. Right. Did you see something right. like that? I was uh, like, no, oh. but, but I thought about it. Yeah. I was like, of course there are different words for knives in English too. Yeah. <laughs> Sword, uh, Dirk. Uh, that's all I can think of. But anyway, uh, I thought it, I other thought ones. It was, Yeah, other ones. Anyway, Jorge has accepted his punishment to an extent, saying, quote, for people to be safe, I need to be in here. That's true. That's true. If I were let out as I am today, I could kill another one. Human meat for me is no different than beef. End quote. Okay. And scene. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh boy <laughs> regarding the empada stuffed with human meat which people said the women sold in the city chief constable osvalde moreas director of operations for the civil police said that it was practically impossible to prove it quote the truth is that this will never be proven he said the desembargador augusto duque prison in northeast brazil where jorge is serving his sentence is in pesqueira a poor remote town of dirt roads and mud brick houses 150 miles inland from recife it has a capacity for 144 prisoners but is currently packed with 997 Yikes. jorge shares wow. a small cell with 33 inmates who have to share just five beds wow how does that even work <laughs> i do not know and i mean Jesus. i just uh, like imagining this this prison just like stuffed with people like literally stuffed it sounds like a like a nightmare, nightmare. God, i can only yeah. imagine if they're dealing with covid down there too oh my god yeah yeah that's I sucks. mean, no sympathy for Jorge. Okay, no, but, no, but uh, uh, I'm there sure has to be some form of, who of are innocent humanity, yeah. right? Like, yeah, treating people humanely, even though yeah. what these this Jorge did was uh, awful. Anyway. Awful. Yeah. Jorge gets along with his fellow inmates, even joking about how he wanted a job preparing food in the jail kitchens. <laughs> Come again. <laughs> <laughs> and we are not sure if this is true or not, but Jorge said that along with a Christian pastor who was serving time for rape. He is creating another sect within the prison, which sounds great. Oh, no, 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 yeah. no, 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 wait, <laughs> please don't. Uh, so now we're going to get into our takeaways of what we think made the trio snap. So Jorge is the ringleader, right? I don't mm -hmm. know if he really was schizophrenic or not. Maybe he mm -hmm. was like a psychopath and used the idea of seeing people um, that weren't there uh, to justify his bad behavior. Yeah. I yeah. think his statement about being angry about people he perceived as less than him um, being able to populate the earth is telling. And another way he justified his wrongdoing in his mind. It yeah. was like they deserved it. Mm -hmm. And he came from a well-to-do family, a European Portuguese family, and he was educated in Portugal. And there's this element of white supremacy, of colorism and all the other isms and obias um, in Brazil, which is a result of its colonial past. And generally those who most closely resemble the colonizer, be it with their skin tone, the way they speak, um, are considered better or see themselves as better. And um, so I think that's where that came from. Uh, the yeah. whole thing seems like a farce, like total and yeah. complete and utter bullshit. Yeah. Uh, he had to have an extreme, he had to be, have been very, very manipulative to convince his wife and his mm -hmm. mistress to stay with him um, yeah. and do all those things. And one person engaging in this kind of stuff to me, at this stage in my true crime journey, isn't shocking. But three people? The idea mm -hmm. of three psychopaths finding each other and thinking these are all good ideas? <laughs> I'm no OG of true crime, but it seems very unusual. It is, yes. <laughs> so there had to be, I think Jorge was the mastermind. The other two were just lackeys. And uh, the cannibal thing, I think, is just icing on the cake in terms of, like, true crime. A true crime right, talent. Right. Uh, this story literally has everything. A th an odd thruple, robbery, identity theft, scams, an exotic location, 
pastries and a bunch of lore. I feel bad (laughs) for the victims and their families and particularly the young girl who grew up with them. No kidding. Yeah. Um, She had, yeah, yeah, she had her mother taken away from her. She was brainwashed uh, to live with her captors, witness them doing these horrific things. And then on top of that, if she's not successfully reunited with her family, I mean, she's remanded as a ward of the state, right? Or adopted to some new stranger. And that is devastating. Hopefully uh, they they did ran her DNA and reunited her with her family. But she's got to be fucked up, man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And I agree with you. The cult thing is uh, total bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it was a fantasy of his. And I think he used it to get the women to do what he wanted. Mm. And uh, the book was him reliving his fantasies. Mm. Um, If you did you see the drawings that he did? No, I did not. Yeah, there, there. I saw some of the drawings, and uh, he loved killing and dismembering these women. He loved it. You can tell from the drawings. Yeah, he was into it. You know what? Now that I think back, now that I think of it, I think I did see the drawings because yeah, they were fucked up. Yes, indeed. And and I also agree with you that he must have been super manipulative. And uh, I'm kind of reminded of Philip and Nancy Garrido, Uh the couple who kidnapped J.C. Dugard. Tell me more, OG. (laughs) Tell me me a true crime story. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, J.C. Dugard, uh, she was, uh, I want to say she was like 11 or 12, somewhere around there. And Uh Philip and Nancy Garrido were a married couple Uh and they kidnapped her and he he raped her and uh, she ended up living like behind their house in a tent and she had children (gasps) by him and they basically hid her back there (gasps) until she was grown (gasps) yeah it's a crazy story stop it oh my god wow so uh philip garrido was a weirdo and an abusive piece of shit okay and uh Nancy, I think, went along with whatever he wanted because she, for whatever reason, she needed to be with him or she felt she needed to be with him. Okay. And I wish I could find out more about Isabel and Bruna. Same. But I feel like Isabel was kind of like Nancy, went along with whatever George wanted. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Bruna was into it. That's the feeling I got. Ah, okay. I'm just guessing. I don't really know. know. Yeah. Okay. I feel you on that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, from what I've read, uh, she started living with the couple when she was a teenager. So Jorge probably fucked her up in the head. And uh, so I'm sure um, he had a strong influence on her. She grew. I mean, I'm thinking of the little girl that Uh had she grown up with them. She would have been all fucked up, too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Jorge was a human cancer. (laughs) Yeah, he was. He really was. And um, there wasn't anything in the story about sexual assaults. Mm -hmm. Um, But I wouldn't be surprised if there were sexual assaults. I'm actually surprised that there it wasn't ever mentioned. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it may be that the Brazilian media doesn't talk about those things. I, I don't oh, know. Interesting. Um, yeah. But it could also be that there were no sexual assaults, but I find that really strange because most of the time with these types of crimes, um, there's a sexual component. Right. So um, I, I don't know. 
it's it's uh it's a weird story <laughs> it's it, pretty fucking weird man <laughs> it is weird holy moly but we made it that's the end yeah. of the story y'all <laughs> yeah <laughs> Now we are going to get into how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. Beth, do you have tips? I don't. Okay, because I don't have any tips either, but this has been on my mind all month. And silly me, I forgot to open my big mouth and mention it. But happy Thanksgiving to everybody. This episode will come out on Thanksgiving. But I wanted to remind y'all that this holiday can be triggering uh, for our indigenous and native fam, right? Yeah. As as we show our gratitude for being around our loved ones or seeing them on Zoom this Thanksgiving, yeah. Um, make an effort to pay your respects to indigenous indigenous people too. It's um, a great idea. Yeah. yeah, who've endured so much at the hands of the country that we we call home. Um, you can go to the Google machine and find out which tribes uh, are indigenous to your area. Um, You can find out the history of what they've endured um, so that you could live there. Um, So, you know, support an indigenous community, business or artist, maybe buy something on Etsy or on Amazon or buy something online. That's a great idea. Yeah. Um, and uh, remember to keep your gathering small, your bellies full, your hands washed, your masks on. And if white supremacy makes an appearance at your Thanksgiving table, tell them where to shove that turkey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I got. I love it. Yeah, thank you. So uh, now we are going to get into the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any true crime goodies or any content by or about any other or marginalized groups. Um, I only have one thing, and it is called Fall Line, The Victims of Samuel Little, oh, a four-part guys, series podcast. Wow. You guys been asking for it? Ooh, there it is. It's yeah. out there, and I mean... This is like a real journalist lady doing this show. I mean, she like <laughs> interviews experts and stuff. Like wow. they got a they got a budget. Like cool. Uh, they've talked to people in the FBI that that Texas Ranger who like interviewed. They got cop like uh, audio from interviews with Little. It is nice. It is. I mean. It's very condensed, right? Because he's got so many victims mm-hmm. across like 40 states or something like wow. that. Um, but it uh if you have just been like dying to know more, it's a good, it's a good one. So good, cool. Yeah. What Thank you, you. Yeah. Um, well, I haven't really been able to watch anything uh too serious lately. Um, so I've been looking for like lighthearted shows, just comedies and stuff like that. Nice. And I I started watching a show on Netflix called Mismatched. Huh. And it's a comedy set in India 
And uh, initially, the story is about a couple who are matched up by their parents, Mm -hmm. um, but they meet while they're taking an app development course at a college. And the story takes place at the college there. So a bunch of other characters in the from the class are brought in. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about the couple. Um, there's lots of different, uh, characters and they're not stereotyped. They're like, uh, you know, Real, they all have human yeah, beings. They, they have, uh, personalities yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And, and so far it's been really cute. Oh. Um, I like the characters and I, I love seeing the locations in India. So if you're looking for something lighthearted, not too serious, uh, a little funny, yeah. um, I, I recommend watching Mismatched. Well, thank you very much. You say this is on Netflix? On Netflix, yeah. Netflix, Netflix, got it. Okay, thanks, Beth. (laughs) Sure. Well, uh, that's all for today, folks. Uh, But in the meantime, where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App. Or you can be Become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website. Very true. Now, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. 24 hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. 
Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. <laughs> 